Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome to season four of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. It's been a lengthy hiatus since we completed season three of this series, so it's good to be back. Thank you to IG Markets for once again coming on board to fund and sponsor this podcast. Their involvement is hugely valuable, and we're proud to have such an award-winning CFD provider alongside us. In this season, I'll welcome back some of our most popular guests from previous seasons to get their updated views on the markets, and I'll also bring in some new guests too. I'll be asking them pertinent questions about how they trade the market and where they're seeing opportunities in the global trading and investing arena. The idea is that you, the listener, gain some valuable insight and education from these market professionals that may be of use in your own trading and investing. So with that in mind, let's get straight into this week's episode of Talking with Traders. Welcome back to Talking with Traders. And this week, we've got Bruce Main on the line with us. And Bruce, I'm really, really excited to be interviewing you again, because last year when we spoke, and it was more or less a year ago, you gave us some incredible uh, share picks. You were very bullish on uh, future innovative themes. Um, you were a massive bull on Tesla. And it's one of the reasons why I figured it was so timeless to bring you back onto the show now, given that Tesla has just hit $1 trillion in market cap, and it's all the rage at the moment. So welcome back, Bruce. Thanks very much, Garth, and uh, thanks to the listeners. Yeah, it's really good to have you back. And uh, as I said last time, you have that picture of a Tesla car on the top of your Twitter profile. Um, I noticed that the type of car changes every time, every now and again, but it's always a Tesla. And what is it lately? It's a, it looks like a Tesla. It's a sports car or a roadster. It's the roadster, yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely beautiful machine. Well, Bruce, you you nailed that one. I mean, you you were very bullish on Tesla last year, and you you went on and spoke about how the fact that the market was valuing it wrong. And you mentioned that it's, it's not, you know, it shouldn't be valued as a car company, but it should rather be valued as an, as an diversified energy business. And it does seem more and more like the market is kind of coming around to that thinking. Um, the stock's gone over a thousand dollars now, and that's post split, by the way. Um, and as we said, gone over a trillion dollars in market cap. You mentioned offline that you've done very, very well for your clients with Tesla, which is brilliant and fa fantastic to hear. Um, a couple of questions around that. I mean, are you still holding the same size position that you had pre last year when we spoke, or have you trimmed any of it back in order to, yeah, you know, I guess because of the weighting, the weighting of that stock in your clients' portfolios must have become enormous? So quite interesting. Um, from... From the perspective of some of the prudential levels, obviously uh, in Regulation 28 compliant accounts, we have to uh, reduce the, the stake. With clients that have uh, the ability to, to have a more flexible mandate, what we tend to do with a lot of the, the assets that we like is once we've got to a valuation metrics that we believe is fairer valuing the asset, uh, what we will do is we sell out the original investment plus take a bit of profit, and then the balance of the assets that are held are literally, we, we say to the client, it's a, a free carry. So we actually haven't trimmed it uh, massively, and, and obviously that's benefited clients uh, dramatically over the last uh, six, seven months. 
Wow. Well, well, well done. That's, that's fantastic. I mean, it's a phenomenal story, Tesla. Um, it just continues to go from strength to strength. I know you were saying offline, you know, you still feel that the company is, is potentially undervalued based on what the future looks like for Tesla. Um, let's just talk around that a little bit because it is such an interesting theme at the moment. I mean, where, where do you still see the future for Tesla? Everybody knows about the cars and, and they're beautiful cars. We see them driving around here in the UK. I see more and more of them all the time and they're stunning. But you've said all along, it's not just a car company. There's a whole lot more to it. So what's, where, where are you picturing the future for Tesla? So I think you, you, you've got to look at the, um, first of all, the, the AI that's based uh, in the background. And, and certainly when he has, uh, you know, an, an artificial intelligence day trying to bring in some of the top talent in the world, uh, utilizing uh, an analytics uh, on data. And that goes across the board. Visual inputs that are being turned into a response, which is going onto the automation in the car side, is one asset uh, of, of a function where AI can become visual automation within uh, a shop, within a, an automated process. So, so I think the AI automation uh, and, and that side of Tesla, I think, will become a, a lot better understood by the market over the next two to three years. You also take that one step further and go into the energy side. There's a, there's a product called AutoBidder, which is an AI trading engine, and that literally arbitrages uh, energy prices uh, buying low, selling high, and that helps people that install Tesla-based uh, solutions to effectively make the asset, uh, make it profitable for the person that owns it. And I think if you look through Musk's entire mantra, he wanted to change the dynamic of a motor car, turning it into an asset uh, that actually yields you a return. And in that uh, ultimate automation of the car where it can drive itself, you know, the car becomes a, a utility to the person that owns it as opposed to a depreciating asset. So, so I think that theme runs through Tesla in all of the areas, energy, um, the artificial and automation side, which obviously goes into robotics uh, and then the motor car itself. So yeah, uh, I think a long run road. So that automation, I mean, you and, and, and utilizing the car as a utility, you, I guess what you're sort of in a, in a roundabout way saying is, as an example, you could own a Tesla and that, that, that car becomes an, an Uber car. But when you're not using it to go somewhere, you can send it off and it drives around by itself, picking up passengers and taking them elsewhere and it effectively becomes an income generating asset for you. Spot on. Exactly. Absolutely. Amazing. Amazing. Um, of course, we know about Tesla and the phenomenal performance that the shares have, have given us, but there's a whole industry uh, around electric vehicles and the supply chains into the electric vehicle industry as well. So you know, for investors who've maybe missed the, the Tesla bus, and perhaps as you've said, the, the bus is, you know, you, there still may be opportunities to hop onto that bus. But if we look besides Tesla, there's a, a whole lot of other industries uh, supplying into the electric vehicles uh, uh, Area, what, what, where are you seeing opportunities in that uh, in, in that realm? Yeah, so so I think um, first we can obviously look at the charging network, and I think that's very topical. So a company like Hertz Group has just come out with a massive order for you know one hundred thousand Tesla motor cars that they want to bring into the uh, rental network, and I think what's very clever if you read in the background 
what they're really wanting to do is set up a charging infrastructure that's going to be deployed and not only be able to be used by that network of Teslas that they're buying, but obviously other customers that have uh, charging uh, cars that they want to charge. So I think that's a way of altering the old rental model into not only renting the car and making a margin, but actually making a margin out of selling uh, the, 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 the recharging of those motor cars. So I think that's quite a clever area to look at. Um, completely sort of on the other side, um, you, you do have some rare earth metal opportunities. I think uh, there are a lot of rare earth metals that go into battery tech, uh, into these motor cars. So some of, some of that area is also uh, worth looking at. And then there are uh, individual listed businesses that are in the charging network that I think are, are also an area that one can look at. But unfortunately, uh, still for me, the firm favorite um, in terms of the diversification of what you're getting, um, I still think Tesla, you know, probably at these levels, you might get a pullback because it's, it's run extremely hard over the last month. Um, but, but again, I, I don't think it's over. And I don't think the, the rise of how big this business will become uh, is quite uh, coherent in the market yet. Mm, interesting. You talk about the charging network, and I'm trying to get, um, for the listener's benefit, I guess, I'm trying to get some stock ideas here out of you as well. Um, there's two that I follow in the US is uh, ChargePoint Holdings, and there's Plug Power, um, which I know, is, uh, which are effectively, uh, they, they are exactly that, they're the charging network for electric vehicles. Are there any others that you look at? Uh, so at this stage, unfortunately, outside of those two, which uh, which I'd probably plug power, I know was looking at um, uh, fuel cells as well. Mm. Um, I'll probably go for the the, the first one, and uh, and and then again, uh, the Hertz story is interesting. I think you just got to be careful on the fact that it's very hyped at the moment. But I think that's quite an interesting change in the rental market. And what you could find is some of the other rental car uh, companies start moving the same way. Maybe they don't go to Tesla, but they start looking at developing a charging network. And again, logic tells you, why did they go for electric motor cars? And this is what's interesting. Hard for us in South Africa to understand, uh, but there is a company, Rubicon, that brought in a Tesla into South Africa. I've actually had the luxury of being able to go in it, which was uh, very exciting. But the interesting standpoint there is the fact that it costs a third to run. So these cars from a maintenance and a, and a running perspective are significantly cheaper and they're still doing the same job. So uh, that's uh, good profit margins for businesses that go into renting electric motor cars and obviously have the ability to make a margin out of charging it. Mm. Yeah, interesting. And in the rare earth space, um, what sort of rare earths specifically are you referring to that make up uh, that, that are crucial in the electric vehicle space? So a lot of the, there's molybdenum, uh, you know, there's some of these metals are quite exotic. So Linus Group in Australia uh, is, is probably an interesting play. And I think where, where there's, a, there's a problem in the market which, which will be solved, we need to bring in somebody like uh, uh, Sabanya Gold, Neil Froneman, where you can actually aggregate uh, a lot of the smaller operators together, uh, get a bit of uh, pricing power and the ability to go direct to suppliers, so I think some, some consolidation in the rare earth metals business uh, is, is a possibility. China uh, probably produces 80 to 90%. And that the reason why it's been so cheap is there was a huge amount of strip mining that was done over 60, 70 years. And a lot of the waste material they found out actually held a lot of uh, rare earth metals in it. And there's been this massive 
deposit that's been utilized over the last sort of 15 years. And I think that's depleting. So ultimately, in the next four or five years, I think you could see a turn and, and some pricing pressure upwards in the in the rare earth metal side. So Linus Group in Australia is one that I think is quite an interesting play. Okay, interesting. And I've seen on your, your Twitter uh, feed that you quite often tweet about um, Freeport McMurray and the copper, uh, well, it's copper and gold. But obviously, yes. copper is also a massive input into anything electric. Uh, and, and, and I've seen that you're fairly bullish on that stock as well. Yes. So Freeport McMurray, when, when, when every client says to me, you know, Bruce, I just want pure gold. I say, why? Why do you want pure gold where, you know, gold is very much a sentiment asset. It's also an asset that performs well when markets are in turmoil. But why don't you get the pure hedge? So you've got, you've got the copper side in booming economies that you do well in. And you've obviously got the gold as a hedge uh, if there's any market instability. So Freeport McMoran, and they, they did have a few problems a, a year or two ago. They had quite high debt levels. They've got those all uh, under wraps. And I, and I think most of the new projects that are coming online are interesting. Uh, also, really like the Vofi Gold Group project that Harmony always had, I think that if they can bring uh, into production uh, successfully, I think will be a very, very successful project as well. Okay. All right. Super. Let's then pivot away a little bit from the, the electric vehicle theme and all of that, because I think we've covered that quite well. Another area of the futuristic themes that you really liked last year was the whole uh, area around genome editing. And you mentioned offline that you've actually just finished a course in gene editing through Harvard. Um, last year, you liked CRISPR as one of the stocks that you 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 really fancy in that sector. Um, since we spoke, I've listened to quite a couple of other guys who've also you know liked the sector, and I've come across quite a few other stocks in that space. But generally speaking, we've actually had a bit of a bear market in the biotech space over the last certainly most of this year. Um, so, how are you seeing that sector of the market now? Yeah, exactly, and, and I think spot on. I think. Uh, uh, Last night, I had the pleasure of chatting to Richard Adcock, who's the CEO of Immunity Bio, which I'll come to later. And, and we, we actually reflected on the fact that you, you had a massive surge in all of these biotech businesses because of, uh, because of COVID. So there was so much interest in cures and what biotech business could be coming up. So I think you naturally had a, a sort of artificial spike in the prices and you've gone into a bit of a bear market, which I think is a buying opportunity. So if you're looking for a biotech business, look for good results that are coming out in the medical and, and clinical trial statuses, but the share price is going down and that obviously comes back to, to immunity buyer, which is currently what's happening to that share. But, but outside of that, uh, certainly CRISPR, I still really like um, Editas, Twist Biosciences. Uh, all of these companies are, are interesting from both the gene editing space and immunotherapies. And I think what's really important to try and explain, if you think of a disease and how it's treated, most of the money, this three, four trillion dollars of market capitalization, come in drug companies that treat the symptoms. Uh, gene editing, immunotherapies, and, and that side really goes into cellular dynamics where it, it, it treats the actual cell to change that uh, the, the outcome of the proteins that are being released by the cell that are causing the disease, and, and it edits that process out and stops it happening. So you really are sitting on the cusp 
of true cures. Now, that envelope of businesses are in the 150 to 200 billion market cap business. And I see a migration of those companies over time heading towards the three and a half trillion status, because ultimately, if you cure the disease, uh, you don't have to treat it anymore. So, so I definitely think there's going to be a lot of M&A activity in that region, but certainly CRISPR, uh, Pacific Biosciences, which is uh, more in the in the in the genetic sequencing stage, also very interesting business. So, lots of companies. If you can't go for specific names uh, because your portfolio is not big enough, you can look at uh, BlackRock's got a brilliant uh, Future Health ETF, and there's also Arc Genomics, which I think is probably the be- the better one. Okay, very interesting. All right, so it's good to know. This so the BlackRock Future Health ETF. And then ARC has, has also got a fund in that space. So I think that's helpful for listeners who, who maybe want to have exposure to the sector, but don't necessarily have the time or the ability to go and do the, the, the hard digging that you obviously do around these businesses to find out which are the specifics to go for. Um, yes. Another one that, that I've also been keeping an eye on, which you didn't mention, there's Intelia. Do you follow that stock? Yes, uh, I do follow it as well. And, and that actually sits in the ARC Genomics uh, Fund. So right. definitely, if you buy into Intelia, you're getting, uh, if you buy into ARC Genomics, you're getting exposure to Intelia. Okay. All right. Super. So ARC Genomics and BlackRock Future Health are the, are the possible ways to go there as an investor. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if we then move away from that and talk about artificial intelligence a bit. Now, you, you did allude to artificial intelligence a little bit when we were talking about Tesla. Um, I know there, again, when there's an ETF that I follow, which is called the BOTS, B-O-T-Z ETF, um, and that's effectively, it, it is an artificial intelligence ETF, and it contains things like um, Upstart Holdings and NVIDIA and, and, and so on. Um, are there any other specifics in that area, and maybe leading on from this around drone technology as well? Because I know when we spoke last year, you spoke about drone technology as a big theme that you also loved to to look at. Um, are there some specifics in that area that we can talk about? Yeah. So uh, quite interesting. And I, and I think if you look at most of the mega cap businesses today, they all have very advanced um, AI departments uh, where they, they're utilizing artificial intelligence with, within the organization. So I think even if you look at a business like uh, Google, uh, there's, uh, there's AlphaFold, and that's quite an interesting company because here you've got a tech business, but AlphaFold is actually uh, reworking what they call unfolded proteins back to understanding why they didn't fold correctly. And in simple terms, it's you've got a disease, uh, the disease has caused uh, an abnormality within the biological process, and the proteins that have formed uh, are unfolded, and that's what causes your symptoms. These can understand why that unfolding happened, and that has massive applications in the medical industry. So here you've got a tech business that's got an artificial intelligence solution that's assisting uh, a a medical company. So these are the sort of themes that I think are going to become more and more common, and, and you'll probably find a lot of the medical companies, and I'll come back to an example like Immunity Bio, um, which I really like, uh, Dr. Soon Swang, who's originally from South Africa, um, who's one of the, who is the founder of Immunity Bio. If you read some of the articles, uh, all over it is utilizing AI to assist in the drug development process or the immunotherapy uh, process and to help them speed up and make it more efficient. So huge amount uh, of activity in this space. So AI, Google, 
Tesla obviously has got uh, advanced AI, and certainly Peter Thiel's Palantir, another company um, that I think uh, is, is well positioned in terms of how it's selling uh, and making available uh, the utilization of the, of the artificial intelligence applications that they've got uh, to the broader market. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes. Okay, super. Now, what about um, crypto and gold? Now, when we spoke last year, you, you told a story about how you'd uh, caught a big move up in gold and, and then it was one of your best trades, but then it also turned to be a, one of the worst because you forgot to sell at the higher levels and it turned lower. And you said at that time, it was all around the money printing in 2008, 09, that your rationale was for wanting to own gold at that time. And, um, and, and, and I know last year when we spoke in 2020, of course, there was massive stimulus uh, starting at that point massive money printing effectively or injection of liquidity into the financial markets. And at that stage, you, you made the point again that as an inflation hedge, gold looks like a, an attractive asset. Now, gold hasn't really done all that well over the last uh, year. It's kind of gone well, it's up and down, but it hasn't shot the lights out like many would have expected, given somewhat rising inflation and all of this money gone, gone into the markets. But crypto has gone absolutely nuts again. Um, and I've seen quite a lot of commentary out there suggesting that cryptocurrency is now the new inflation hedge. Do you buy into that line of thinking? So, you know, Garth, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, I had so many questions four or five years ago about cryptocurrencies. And, you know, I've always taken the strategy and, and all of the directions of Ivy. You know, if we don't know something, we don't answer. We we go and find out and try and learn what we don't know. And I think I think that, uh, in some respects, has been very much a foundry over the last uh, seven eight years of discovery. And and when I started looking uh, at, and, and and not being able to understand crypto, you know, I thought what what the best thing to do is go on a university program to understand where financial technology is going. And that. You know, I did over four years ago, and we actually held a conference for our clients on the back of the information that I got out of that program. Um, where where does this crypto? Uh, where, where where is the future of money? And I think what was very interesting is is my question to the professor then was just show me a damn use for this stuff. I mean, what do you do with it? So he gave me an example of a company called Bitpesa in in Africa where it removed probably a month's worth of working capital and released it to the company. So the crypto enabled uh, a very, very speedy monetary transfer from Kenya straight to Japan, same day, customer paid, and then they shipped millions of dollars worth of motor cars. The process that she would have to have normally gone through took about three weeks to get the money uh, from Kenya uh, through the, the, the relevant uh, banks, plus all the paperwork, et cetera. So when I saw that, that there was functionality and risk of really only a couple of minutes, you, the, you're only on the Bitcoin network for a couple of minutes, I found there 
a massive gouging arbitrage of being able to move a lot of money without being, and we all know from uh, currency transfers from our banks, it's expensive and it's expensive in the pricing of the RAND where you're losing the money. And I, I, I see a, a massive opportunity for, for Forex. So if you listen to the banks out there, you, you get a lot of negative feed about cryptocurrencies by retail banks, but not necessarily by corporate and merchant banks. And I think that's interesting because the, the, the Forex related uh, activity that could come into the crypto market, I think could, uh, could become quite significant. And, and from that, you know, I said to my clients, okay, there is a utility for, for Bitcoin. I can see a use for it. So if you want to own it, um, we facilitated uh, an ETF in Sweden that, uh, that's in our international accounts. And I said to our clients, you know, clearly you don't want to go in at 40%. You want to take a 2%, 3% weighting uh, if you want a Bitcoin ETF then, which was four years ago. Garth, it's absolutely astounding how much that's gone. So our clients <laughs> that were prepared to accept the risk have done exceptionally well. So, so that's uh, and as I said, a constant theme in Ivy is, is if we get something new that we don't understand, we go and learn about it and, uh, and make an, an, a real educated assessment of whether it's a viable uh, opportunity or not. Yeah, that's excellent. I know last year you said to me that you, you know, you, you're a constant, uh, constantly educating yourself. And it's clear, I mean, we've spoke, spoken about the fact that you've just completed a, a Harvard course in, um, in genetic sciences. And you, you did the one four years ago that you mentioned. When we spoke last year, you, you alluded to the fact that through all of this learning that you do, and it's via correspondence, and it's online and so on, you've also actually come up to realize the potential for the growth of online education worldwide. And, and that was at the time a theme that was doing very, very well. We've seen uh, you know, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of money going into online education. And I think that boomed during the COVID crisis as well, because everybody was, was having to work remotely and so on. But at the time, you also mentioned that the, you, you spot opportunities through the online education space, just by virtue of the fact that you'd been a student, and you spoke about to you, uh, which is yeah. which has got a South African connection to it as well, and that was a big space. But something quite shocking has happened in that area in the last couple of months in, in this online education space, and that is that the Chinese have changed the rules around online education, and they effectively wanting to make education a not for profit product in China. And that's seen a lot of these online education stocks getting absolutely smashed to smithereens. Um, there's an ETF that I, that I follow, which is an online education ETF. Um, and that's also been drilled very, very hard. So with this current weakness that we're seeing in that online education space and the shares of these online educators, do you think that's a buying opportunity, much the way that you mentioned that the biosciences bear market is also an opportunity at the moment? I think exactly like you had with the with the the rise of COVID and uh, and the biotech space. I think you spot on. I think exactly the same thing happened with a lot of these online education businesses. I think some are not going to make it. So you've certainly got to do your homework here. Um, I think two you incorporated where they were very clever is obviously being able to get access to premier universities' research facilities and being able to put that in programs that can. Uh, give us mere mortals an understanding of, of what really goes on. And still, even with that, um, you know, I, I rely quite heavily with a partner, Dr. Mark Fivey, who, who helps us out in the, on the biotech space. And he's got a PhD in molecular biology. So, so even from that point of view, I, I still like to double check 
um, everything that I'm doing. And, uh, and yeah, so I think there, there are opportunities, but I think you've got to do your homework quite carefully uh, in terms of, of what's going on. But to you incorporated, I think, is one that is interesting. It is interesting. There's an ETF that I follow, and it's, a, it's the Global X Education ETF. The, the share code for that is EDUT. Um, and I mean, I wonder if that's not one a, a, a vehicle that investors could go into if they're wanting exposure to that space without having to go and fish around on the specific businesses themselves. 100%. Look, and again, I think if we look at it logically, uh, the world being able to democratize education and, and making it accessible, I, from, from just from a pure philanthropic point of view, I think South Africa uh, should try and enable uh, you know, one to two gigs of data that are available uh, to everybody. Uh, and especially the youth, uh, where you can get access to uh, solid education. I think it would make a massive difference. South Africa's got significant education problems, and I think uh, online education uh, with some free data accessible to rural areas and to the market, uh, I think would be hugely beneficial to South Africa. Yeah, absolutely it would. On that topic of being philanthropic, I know you are a bit of a philanthropist yourself, and as we sort of wind towards the latter quarter of this interview. Um, I want to allude to this is the fact that you, you're helping out somebody through Backer Buddy, um, a young lady called Zalika, uh, who's looking to go to the world championships for diving in, in Kiev, I think it is. Tell us a little bit more about that. And let's see if we can try and rustle up some interest from our listeners to help the Z- Zalika get across to, to, to the world championships. Yeah, God, thanks very much. Yeah, so simply put, uh, and very sadly, in South Africa, we normally we should have the money. She's representing the country. She's going to World Juniors. She's representing South Africa. So usually you'd you'd have money which would come out the lottery, whatever the case is, and they would fund uh, these kids to go uh, and showcase their skills uh, on the global stage. So unfortunately, there is no money uh, to to assist. And I just think what would be an absolute travesty is I've known Zalika, uh, my daughter's, it's, it's her oldest friend. Um, and I think for her, uh, with multiple championships she's won in her age group in South Africa, she is really uh, a potential Olympian for South Africa, in my opinion. And, and I think it would be a tragedy if she couldn't go. So we've put up uh, on back a buddy uh, the ability to try and raise the 120,000 rand. And that's what it costs to send an, uh, a, a South African junior diver to Kiev. She's obviously got to stay in isolation and all the complications that come with it. But that's what the uh, the price is uh, for her to go uh, and dive uh, in December. So we're raising his, uh, money on Backer Buddy uh, to try and get Salika uh, into that tournament. Okay, so when I looked at it now, I think you're close to 30,000 rand that you've raised. Uh, so, I think it's better than that now. I think is, we we, we have to about 45. So okay. we're we're of the way there and we've got uh, about a month and a half to go. So we, we're working hard uh, and obviously it'll be fantastic. Uh, you know, any even anonymous 50 Rand, 20 Rand, it all makes a difference. And we appreciate that the world's in a difficult uh, position, but I think it'll be very sad uh, for this a talented diver not to be able to go uh, to world juniors. Yeah. Well, let's try and rustle up some interest from our listeners on the podcast. So if you, if, if, uh, if we've got listeners who would like to come and give to this very noble cause, we, you're looking for 120,000. You say you've got about 45,000 of that so far. So we've got another, what's that? 75,000 to go. Um, how can listeners 
go to, to what, what do they do? Go to Backer Buddy, and how do they how do they do it to yeah, support? Literally, you? as simple as this: you go uh, backerbuddy dot uh, type in Zalika, it'll go straight to her page, and there there are multiple uh, methods to uh, donate the money: credit card, ETF, etc. So uh, all of the money goes uh, uh, straight to Fina and is going to pay for the tickets, the accommodation, and the ten day stay uh, for the tournament. Okay, super. And just to get the spelling of Zalika right, because I know I got it wrong when we were emailing one another. And I can imagine listeners going to Backer Buddy and then making a spelling mistake and battling to find it. So how do we spell that? So that's Z-A-L-I-K-A. Right. So Z-A-L-I-K-A. All right. Excellent. And I know one other philanthropic type of thing that you're also looking at is you're sponsoring a young golfer as well, aren't you? <laughs> so, so yeah, to... I, I used to play good golf many years ago. And, uh, uh, you know, again, from, from the Ivy perspective, uh, we, we spotted he's a, he's a young, talented golfer, 21 years old. Um, he's won some tournaments on the junior uh, Big Easy Tour. Um, so his name's Gerrit Pepler. And uh, just finished last week, um, he came in the top 10 uh, in a tournament last week. So super talented golfer. And, and from my perspective, um, just a young guy that needs a break. And, and I'm, I'm hoping to see him uh, in the British Open. I said, if he makes the British Open, the whole company's going to see him. And Garth, you coming too. Fantastic. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> Absolutely. Superb. Awesome, Bruce. Well, it's been fantastic talking to you again. We've agreed that we're going to have another session with you as well, because there's other stuff we'd like to chat to you about. Um, democratizing venture capital into the future, um, Bitcoin gold, and also Renogen, which is something that our guest from last week, Anthony Clark, spoke about. And you're also very bullish on that stock. Um, we figured we didn't have enough time on this podcast to cover everything. So we're going to split it over two podcasts. Uh, so Bruce, we will be bringing you back again onto the podcast later in this season. But for this session, I think that's it. We've covered pretty much everything we wanted to speak about. As always, it's been fascinating talking to you. Your your insights into the future are absolutely brilliant. Um, and I've just been writing down furiously as we've been speaking here, all the different ideas and the stock names and the possible ideas that you've been sharing with us. So thanks very much, Bruce. Um, and I didn't mention at the beginning of the podcast, which I should have, but Bruce is the CEO of Ivy Asset Management. And if investors want to come and uh, I guess give you some of their money, Bruce, to manage, how can they do that? Yeah, so uh, we've always been in the policy that uh, you phone the front desk and you ask to speak to me and you'll get through to me or you'll get through to somebody in the IB group that uh, that can help you out. Okay. Well, there we go. So if, if uh, anyone's interested, I mean, I think you've, you've sold a very good story and clearly your performance for your clients has been absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I think kudos to you. Well done, Bruce. You guys have spotted some incredible investment opportunities and done very, very well out of them. And I can see a bright future for you guys as well, given the kind of research that you do and the way you see things so differently to the typical asset management industry out there. Well done. Well, God, thank you very much. And thanks very much for the listeners. Yeah, thanks for joining me. And uh, we'll talk again later in the season, Bruce. Thanks so much once again for your time. Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.